You are now listening to sermon audio from International Christian Church. To learn more and get connected, you can visit our website at iccva.org. You know, when we look at life and where we are, and especially what they have shared, life is precious. And no matter how you cut it, life is very brief. Even if you are fortunate enough to live to your 90 years old, when you think about that in the light of eternity and all of mankind, 90 years is not that long. The brevity of life should lead us all to repentance. You know, a lot of us need to make our peace with God while we have time, while we still have life and breath in our lungs. We need to go before him, before our last breath, and make peace with him, to accept his son before final judgment. Life has taught us, almost all of us, that tragedy could strike at any moment. Just since the last time I spoke here on a Sunday, an elderly man in his 70s, who has already had a battle with heart problems, who had a battle with cancer, got through those things, calls for an ambulance because he cannot breathe, and dies in the hospital. A friend of my son's, 21 years old, a couple days before his 22nd birthday, was shot in the back of his head by an old co-worker. I have an old classmate that went up to Pennsylvania to go snowboarding. As he's coming back home, 30 minutes from home in Hampton, he, as probably a lot of us have seen, either was tired from the drive or all of a sudden what happened, the cars slammed their brakes and he did not stop in time and he flipped over his vehicle and killed the passenger that he was with. We look at these different things, and we sometimes could question our heart and mind, why, God? Why would you allow these things to happen? A 21-year-old, a couple days before his 22nd birthday, 30 minutes from home, almost there, could you not hold back just for a couple more minutes? But Jesus, when he was brought, when these situations were happening in his ministry and these conditions were brought to him, Jesus didn't go into depth as into why tragedy occurs. He looks us and looks the crowd in their eyes and he says something that is pretty profound. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And that's in what we read last time, Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. He says it twice. Jesus warned the crowds and is warning all of us as well. Repent before it's too late, before some tragedy overtakes you too. And I would like to pick up where we were last time, because after that, he teaches a profound parable that I think is very important for us to receive. So if you have your Bible, if you could go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 13, 
and stand with me. We're going to read what we read last time, and we're going to just continue on to finish the parable that he taught. Starting at verse 1. This is Luke chapter 13. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him, as Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Salome fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree, which he had planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, behold, for three years, I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Let's bow our heads for a moment and let's pray. Dear God, I pray that the young people that are listening would not think just because they're young, they don't need to heed the word of God. I pray that someone who thinks they are godly, who has a good relationship with you, would not take heed to this word. I pray, Father, for the rich that are amongst us, the rich that are listening, thinking that they have all they need in this world, that they would not listen to the word of God and take heed to what it's trying to convey. To those that have their health today, those that are physically strong, they wouldn't think in their mind, my strength will carry me. I will always be healthy. I will always be okay. For the wise, for the intelligent, may they not think that because they are smart, that they don't need to heed this word. Pray, O God, that you would open our hearts and our minds because you are a compassionate, gracious, loving Father and your arms are extended to us today. Let your people open their hearts and minds. Let the ones who do not know you come near. Let the ones that have rebelled against you and have refused to hear you, may they turn, God, turn to you. You will receive them if they'll turn You will love them. You will show your love to them. You will reveal mighty and great things to them. Bless this word now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. So, continuing on where we were last time, we are in this parable, this story that Jesus is telling. And every time Jesus gives a parable, all he's trying to do is convey a simple message to us, and he does it in a way that the people in the audience could understand it. Most of us have never had a vineyard. Most of us have never had a fig tree, although my neighbor has a fig tree, but a lot of us do not have those things. But still, you have to put yourself in their shoes. For them, this is very easy for them to comprehend. But the very first thing I want to tell you is that what we can see in this parable is that God has an expectation that His people would bear spiritual fruit. 
And that's what happens in this parable, verse 6. And he began telling this parable, a man had a fig tree which he planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. So this vineyard owner plants a fig tree, and probably planted more than one fig tree within his vineyard. The fig trees in the vineyard, the fig trees produce a lot of foliage, so they would provide a lot of shade. That's the first thing that you'd want it for. For your workers that are working in the vineyard, they could come underneath that tree and find the shade that they need. The other thing that it would provide, and this is obvious, in season it would provide figs. And you and I might not have eaten many figs, but figs are really delicious if you have a taste for them. They, they kind of taste like prunes a little bit, kind of taste like raisins a little bit mixed with that. But really, they're kind of good. So if you have your vineyard workers working your vineyard, then they can easily eat one in a hot, you know, arid, dry climate. On a hot day, can come underneath the foliage of that tree. They could get what they need. They can get the shade to kind of take a break. They can also get some figs, get some nutrients, and keep on going. So these trees were planted strategically within the vineyard for those various purposes. And so this is very common, again, story or analogy that Jesus is trying to give. And so if you can remember, too, that because just the idea that these trees, they weren't just planted in vineyards. They were planted along streets and stuff like that on the roadways. Uh, Nathaniel, when he was being called by Jesus, Jesus told him, I saw you while you were underneath the fig tree. And so again, Nathaniel at that moment was just trying to get shade from that dry climate, that hot, dry climate where Israel was. The vineyard has a special place in God's word. And so that I would like to say a little bit about because it's important in the Old Testament, the vineyard or a vineyard often represented Israel. A good place to look at that is Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, I'll just read you that you could read a lot of Isaiah 5, but just I'm going to read you the first two verses out of Isaiah 5. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared all the stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now, again, Isaiah is talking about Israel. That God, to just the analogy, the, the visual is vineyard represented Israel. And God had planted this vineyard in a certain way in fertile soil, removed all the rocks and put a hedge all around it. And it was in a perfect place with fertile soil to produce good grapes but it produced only bad fruit. And so if you keep reading Isaiah 5, you'll see what God had planned to do. He was going to remove the hedge of protection around that vineyard. He's going to let you know the weeds grow up in that vineyard, and he's going to allow it to be overcome and trampled upon. That was the judgment that Israel would face in the Old Testament by Babylon. So again, the vineyard has a special place in a Jewish mind, at least in that time, because it often represented Israel. But if you put these two thoughts together, whether God plants a fig tree or God plants a vineyard, the concept is the same, is that when God plants something, when God does something, he expects it at some point to produce spiritual fruit in our case, or grapes, or figs. God doesn't take the time to do something and plant something, and not expect a result from that. 
I'll read you a little bit of what John the Baptist had to say about these religious leaders from Israel, part of the vineyard, part of the vine. They were supposed to have good fruit. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. This is John the Baptist, and he's speaking to Pharisees and Sadducees, religious leaders of that time. You offspring of vipers, you brood of vipers, some virgins say, I like that better, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. And do not assume that you say, can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham, being cut down and thrown into the fire. I'm sorry, and the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear fruit is being cut down and thrown into the fire. The key part of that that I want you to take away from that part of Scripture, again, this is a rebuke for the religious leaders. They were masters at having a lot of knowledge about God, having a godly appearance, but on the inward, they were nothing of God. They didn't treat other people like God would want them to be treated. They did not look after the poor. They did not look after the sick. They did not care for those that were helpless in their society. And so what John says, John the Baptist, you need to bear fruits of repentance. You need to, there has to be something within you, if you are of God's, that there should be an outward expression, the fruit that could be seen and experienced by other people. You had none, is what what John is saying. There was none on their vines. There was no fruit. You know, some of us would take the fruit that we're talking about, the spiritual fruit, as the fruit of the Spirit. That, hey, you come to God, you're transformed, you're telling me you're a Christian, that Jesus has saved you and he placed the Holy Spirit within you, then there should be a working of that spirit in you that there should be tangible ways that you have been transformed by God. A believer should have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Everyone who says they belong to God or they believe in God, you hear that all the time. Oh, I believe in God. Then show me. Show me by your fruits of your Spirit that you belong to God. There should be no hostility in you. There should be no anger, bitterness, maliciousness. There should be no gossip within you. Those things don't belong to God. So if a Christian tells you or somebody that says they're a Christian says, you know, I believe in God. I follow God, I pray, I read, then show me. Show me by the fruits of your spirit that you belong to God. Don't tell me, just show me. And that's what the world desperately wants from all of us today, is they don't want to hear the words, they want to see the actions. You could also say that the fruit that he's looking for is a transformed mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. That we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our minds should not be the same way they were before we met Christ. We should not have the same passions, desires of the flesh that we used to have. We should have different desires, 
different passions, different hopes, different aspirations. Or we should just begin caring about other people, loving our neighbors as ourselves, caring for the most vulnerable in our populations, the widows and orphans, which James says is a pure and undefiled religion of which there is no law against. What is the thing we're talking about here is when somebody is saying to me or to you, I know God, I believe in God. The demons themselves say they believe in God and they shudder. If you are a Christian, you ought to have not only a belief in God and a faith in God, you should have a transformative work in your heart and your mind, and it should be evident by the words that come out of your mouth and by your actions that you belong to God. That is the fruit that God is looking for. Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 18 This is Jesus himself talking, not John the Baptist. Again, the same people, Pharisees and Sadducees, people that worship God with their lips, but not with their heart. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. What's the point that I'm trying to make? Is that God expects us to produce spiritual fruit. It is clear. It is clear from John the Baptist. It is clear from Jesus himself. It's clear in this story that he wanted it from Israel and Israel could never produce it. And God expects it in every single one of us, not just an appearance of producing fruit, but actually producing it. If you have the words that come out of your mouth and the actions that are done, and they're not of this type of fruit, then you have to question whether God is really your savior at all, whether you believe in the Lord in a saving type of way. Bear fruits of repentance. Show by your actions and your deeds that you belong to God. Not just on a church on a Sunday, but on a Monday morning, not just at work, but with your family, not just with your family, but with your neighbors and your friends. That fruit should be evident for all. But I want to stop here for a second. And I think it could happen. It could happen, right? I think it could. That somebody in their heart and mind could say, you know what, that's it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to bear some fruit. I'm going to, I'm going to work at it. I'm going to do a lot of stuff. And therefore, I'm going to bear a bunch of fruit, and therefore, I'll satisfy God. I didn't want to convey that, although I I think it could have been conveyed. I want you to focus on your being before you focus on your doing. I I want you to focus on, on who you are in Christ before you worry about what you're called to do in Christ. I want to make sure that you have a, a, a real, authentic relationship with God before you worry about bearing fruit. 
I don't, I don't want anybody to get it twisted saying, you got to do, you got to do. You mean to do stuff. No. You need to be someone in Christ before you can do anything in Christ. And I take this from John chapter 15, verse 5 and 6, that your spiritual fruit is not going to be something you work at. It's something that's going to come out of you naturally. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. It's a promise from Jesus. If you are in Christ and you abide in him, if you actively stay in Christ, this fruit is naturally going to come out of you. It's not something you're going to work at or work for. It's going to be a part of who you are. But here's the problem for someone, and I know there are people out there, and this is a problem. You do have a genuine relationship with Christ. I'll give you that. But your words and your actions don't convey that. So what's the problem? Do you understand what I'm saying? You have a relationship with Christ. But the actions and your words don't convey that. The spiritual fruit is not there. People look at you and they wonder, are you even a Christian? Because what you're saying and what you're thinking and what you're doing doesn't show that at all. It's right here. If anyone, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you're not, a, you possibly, I'm not going to tell you what your problem. I'm not a spiritual doctor, but I'm just going by the word. You might not be abiding in Christ. You might not be drawing your mind, your ideas, your actions in Christ. You might be doing it by the outward appearance, but the actual, I'm not with you in the morning. I'm not with you when you're praying. I'm not with you when you're at home. I have no idea what you're doing outside of this place. But if you're not abiding in Christ, you're not producing any spiritual fruit. That could be the problem that you're facing. You believe in Jesus. You possibly have a spiritual connection with him. You've been saved by his, by his, through uh, faith in him by his grace, but you're not abiding in Christ. You're not abiding in him. So apart from him, you can't do anything. If you're not in the vine, if you're not participating and spiritually invested in Christ. So again, the point was, is that God expects spiritual fruit from those that are his. He expected it from Israel. He expected it from the religious leaders, and he expects it from you if you're a believer in him. It's not something you've got to work for. It's something you just are. You abide in Christ, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from him, you can do nothing. So let's move to the second part of this, because this needs to take place. We see in this parable what he moves to. Yes, he has an expectation of fruit, spiritual fruit from what he plants. But the second thing here, it gets a little bit dark. Verse 7, and he said to the vine keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even take up the ground? Now, obviously, when we read that, 
and we got the numbers here, we're thinking, okay, Jesus came to his own. His own did not receive him. But to all who received him and just believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. He came to his own. He came to his own people, and they rejected him. For three years, Jesus was amongst them, walked amongst them. He tabernacled with them. He made their abode with them. The word was going forth to them, but they rejected him. And what it shows us is that God has patience and he's kind with every single one of us, but his patience has a limit. It doesn't go on forever. It didn't go on forever for Israel. The emphatic here is cut it down. Take this fig tree that was supposed to produce figs that I've done everything I could do for it. I've sent the Messiah to that. I've provided the word. I've provided the living word to walk amongst them. And nothing has been produced. No fruit. There must be something wrong with the tree. Do you not get it? If you plant something for three years and you wait, it's supposed to produce fruit. You're just looking for something, anything. Can I just get a little fruit? It doesn't even have to be something I get. Can I just get a a, a sign that you are of God? And for some of us, God has given us much more time than that. Some of us have been in Christ supposedly for many, many years. You could tell me stories of how you came to Christ when you were a child in Sunday school, and now you're 50, 60 years old. My question to you, it's the question that this parable is asking, where's the fruit of that? Where's the transformed mind and heart? Where's the love? Where's your willingness to serve God? Where's your desire and your hunger for his word? Where is it? You tell me you're in Christ You're telling me he's your savior? You're telling me the Holy Spirit resides in you? Where's the joy of your salvation? Where's the hope that you have that you're going to see him again? Why do you live in anxiety? Why do you live in fear? Why are you afraid to go outside of your house and possibly get COVID and possibly die? If Christ is in you and for you to live as Christ and to die is to gain. God's patience has limits. And it has Israelite, the Israel, Israel had its limits with God. If anybody could ever say, you know what? God's favor was upon us. It was Israel. They were God's children, first and foremost. They were descendants of Abraham. They were his people, and to them belonged the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises, and the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. It's Romans 9, 4, and 5. They had it all. They had everything. And yet, this is where they were. They couldn't even recognize the Messiah 
who God had always promised when he walked amongst them. They could not even, and I'm going to speak a lot more. Next time I get in front of you guys, I'm going to say a lot more of this. Because it's a travesty that if Christ could heal people the way he healed people, you would still deny him. You would still reject him. It's a travesty that God's own people could not see him as a Messiah, as God's anointed. They could not see it. They were so hard-hearted, they would not receive it. They had it all. And it's sad that within Jesus' time, several years later, they rejected him while he was there, but several years later, Jerusalem would be trampled by Rome. The temple would be destroyed. No stone would be left upon each other. In this same chapter, it brought tears to Jesus. Literally, it brought tears to him. This is known as Jesus' lament over Jerusalem. Luke chapter 13, 34 and 35. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who have been sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her young under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. I say to you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is sad. This is sad. God loves Israel. Don't you ever forget that. Israel has a special place in God's heart. So whatever's going on politically, you just know spiritually and within scripture that God loves Israel. God loves the people of Israel. And even though they are rebellion against God, still to this day, by not receiving their Messiah that was sent to them, God has a special place in his heart and he will eventually redeem these people. But now we live in the time of Gentiles when the rest of us get to partake in this glory by becoming children of God by adoption through the blood of Christ. That although they rejected Jesus, you don't have to reject Jesus. Although Rome came in 70 AD and leveled all of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, you don't have to wait till travesty and tragedy comes in your life and destroys you before you receive Christ. You don't have to go another day. You today could have peace with God. You today could have a relationship with God. You today could begin the transformative work of your mind, your heart, so that you say and do things differently and treat people differently and truly love your neighbor as yourself and truly love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That God could do that in every single one of your lives today, and that's a great gift of God that people were not his own could become his own. And I know what some people are thinking. When travesty and tragedy comes, is God loving? When people die, in our minds, they are innocent people. In God's mind, in God's heart, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through his son, I want you to know that if you have life and breath today, 
You need to receive it as a gift. Tragedy should not, you should not look at tragedy and blame God. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you need to repent or you likewise will perish. God's mercy gives us time before judgment. What you have right now is time. Every one of you, every one of you online, you have time. Verse 8, and he answered and said to them, the one that's actually the vine dresser, the taking care of the vines, which is Jesus, let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. So you see the landowner ready to cut this tree down. There's something wrong with this tree. I've done everything I could for this tree. It's ready to get cut down. I'll plant a different tree here because there's something wrong with the tree. But the vine dresser comes and he says, hold on, just wait. Let me, let me give it more time. Let me, let me, let me take care of it. Let me get down there and put some manure in there and fertilizer and dig around it, aerate the soil. Let me, let me just work with it a little bit longer. And then let's see if it'll finally produce spiritual fruit. And this is Jesus here. Jesus is the vine dresser. He is the one that's come along and interceding for you and for me. Even if you don't believe in God this moment, See, I believe there's somebody that's listening and you don't believe in God. You don't have a faith in Christ. You have no spiritual fruit in your life. You've been very rebellious. You've rejected every, every love offering that God has put your way. You've rejected various people, messengers that God has sent. And God's saying here is, look, you don't understand. Judgment is coming. That tragedy could be around the door for you. You could be driving right now and you could be flipping your vehicle in a couple hours. You could be in your late senior years and you could have heart pain right now and call for the ambulance and you could die of an aneurysm while you're in the hospital. You could be getting off work at 21 years old thinking, man, you got your whole life ahead of you and some crazy coworker of, you, of yours shoots you in the back of the head while you're standing outside your door. But there's one who's interceding for you. There's one that is sitting at the right hand of God right now. And he's trying his best for you to open your ears and open your eyes. Listen to the, the herald, the one that one's heralding the message. Listen to the, the one that is calling out to you and begging you. Listen to the son of God speak this parable. Listen to the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen to the alpha and the mega, the beginning, the end. Listen to the one who knows you, has known you, has formed you while you're in your mother's womb. Don't let another day go by where you don't get your life right with God by coming to God on his terms, which is by accepting the one and only son of God, Jesus himself. There's no one who loves you more. There's no one that can provide for you more. There's no one that has more grace, more love, more care than Jesus does for you. And so what this vineyard dresser, the vine dresser is saying, let me exhaust everything I got. Let me, let me do everything I can. Let me just one more time, let them hear the message one more time. But let me tell you what this is also saying. 
that for some of us, your time is running short. If you can imagine that there's an hourglass for every one of your lives, and unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, some of you guys, there's not much time left. I say that, and I'm not, I'm not you know, belittling death, but I'm just saying we all each have an allotted amount of time before God, and we can't add or take away from it. And unfortunately, there will be young people that pass away before we would think it's appropriate. But anybody over their 50s should not think, you know what, I got plenty of time to make my amends with God. I got plenty of time to get my life right with God. No one who's a retired should think in their mind, you know what, I got a long life ahead of me. I can just take it easy now and rest. God is saying, Christ is saying, don't you ever think in your mind that there's another moment that you have. This is what the Lord has given you. Romans 2, 4, and 5. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? You're supposed to, this is what's supposed to be happening, is you're supposed to look over your life and come back to God. Every one of us, me included, I, I spent time yesterday crying over the, you know, some of this word just because I knew I needed to repent. I needed to come back in some ways. But because of the stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. We will all be judged at the bema seat of Christ. We all need to give an account for every word and every action. The only ones that will have an opportunity to be forgiven at that moment are the ones who Christ, they put their faith in Christ, who laid down their life and paid the penalty of their sins. So what Jesus is telling us, what John the Baptist was saying, repent and live. Stop being stubborn. Stop being hard-hearted. Stop thinking you got a long life. Stop thinking just because you're healthy for this day. Stop thinking that you got all that you need. If you stand before God, all the money won't matter. The big house won't matter. The nice car won't matter. The clothing won't matter. Repent and live. And the only reason why some of us are still alive today, those that have rejected Christ and been rejecting him for so long, can be found in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You tell me after you hear this word, how you can stand before God and say, you know what? I didn't hear it. I didn't know that I was supposed to come to Christ. I didn't know that he, were, he was supposed to transform my heart and my mind. I didn't know that I was supposed to think differently, talk differently, act differently. I didn't know I was supposed to love my neighbor as myself. I didn't know I was supposed to live like you wanted me to live. I thought I could just do whatever I wanted to do. 
God has been very patient and he's been very kind for the sole purpose of leading you to repentance. Tragedies have occurred around you, in you, in your life to show you one thing. Life is short and it is brief and you better get right with God. You better come before him and make atone for your sin. And it's not work of yours. It is already the work of Christ. And the work that we are now to do is just have faith in him. In Mark chapter 11, verse 12 and 13, I know this doesn't seem like it's going to connect because I don't like doing this, but Jesus walks upon a fig tree on the side of the road. He was looking for fruit on it, and it had none. Some of you guys might remember this. Some of you guys, if you've ever, maybe you never read this, but what happened was Jesus was so upset at this tree for not having, had all the foliage, it looked like it would be a fruit-bearing tree, but it had none. And Jesus rebuked the tree, and it withered and died. Jesus came to this tree expecting fruit. It had none, and it was judged on the spot. Just like that tree, those that are in Christ are expected to bear fruit. God will patiently wait with all, for all of us to do that, but there isn't a lot of amount of time that God gives us. God is patient, but his patience is limited. So while you still have time, while you, today is today, and you have your health, and you have your mental faculties, and you have your strength, Come to Jesus by repenting of your sin and begin living a life that bears fruit before it's too late. The patient vine dresser, Jesus, is interceding for you. And we are too as a church. I don't want any of you guys to stand before God and not be received into his kingdom. Don't just you think that I, I said a prayer. I'm good. That's all I need to do. It's not enough to say a prayer. If you have a true living faith in God, you will bear spiritual fruit. It'll be tangible. It'll be evident. And so you have to ask yourself, am I right with God? If I stood before, if I died right now, if I go home in a car accident, get a car accident, if I, if I have a heart problem and I go to the hospital and I die in the hospital, would I be okay before the Lord? It's not too late. You can make amends with God right now. Let's bow our heads and let us pray. Dear God, I pray for all of us and everybody listening online, myself included. I don't stand on one side and everybody else is on the other side. Lord, I stand with your people. I look at, in my mind, I think about Jesus on the cross. Lord, if, if you don't save us, Lord, we can't be saved. If you don't lay down your life for us, if you didn't lay down your life for us, there would be no hope for us. If you didn't make it so that 
if we just put our faith in the Son of God as the Savior of the world, we wouldn't be saved. We wouldn't have no hope, but yet that's what it is. Lord, our relationship begins with you by putting our faith, even if it's small as a mustard seed, our faith in you. Lord, I pray for us all. We put our faith in Christ. He's the only one interceding for us. No other God is doing that. Nobody else cares. No one else loves like that. That is patiently waiting for us. I pray, oh God, that you would transform our hearts and our minds so that we begin this transformative work by abiding in you, you abide in us, and that we would bear much fruit. You people would see us by the way we act and the way we talk. Everything would be changed and transformed. Would you do that in our lives now, Lord, we ask? We understand that it will take many, probably years, for this to fully blossom and fully uh, bring all the fruit that you have. But Lord, may we see some signs of life in us, some signs of change and transformation in our hearts and our minds. Lord, you're calling all of us today. We repent of our sins, the things that we've done, the things that we have chosen over you, the way our hearts have bent towards other things. We've loved the things of the world more than you. Forgive us all, God. Forgive us all. And Lord, we ask that you would do this great work in this church, that we would be one people in love with you, serving you, and that your power would be revealed in all of us. And it would be evident to the community around us. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the ICC podcast. We're looking forward to more ways we can offer resources to help equip you to apply God's word onto your life. We want you to always know that God is present. God is for us and that we are here for you. So if you have a need or a prayer request, please reach out to us at prayers at iccva.org. And again, for more info and to get connected, you can visit iccva.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram.